This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I interview Kyle Dobbs, strength coach, a business owner, a teacher, and a father. I've been following Kyle for a while and through some mutual connections, was lucky enough to get him on the podcast. If you follow Kyle's site, Compound Performance, you'll see a wealth of knowledge about biomechanics and human movement. But what you'll also see is his moral background and his beliefs in seeking out enjoyment, both in fitness and in life, and how to find what's important. That was a really good interview, enjoyed every minute of it, and I know you will too. Listen in. All right, this is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am on with Kyle Dobbs. Kyle, uh, one, thanks for being on, and uh, two, if you want to tell people a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm a business owner uh, currently working out of St. Louis. I began my career as a coach in uh, Manhattan and kind of went through a lot of different levels in the fitness industry and went into management and upper management and education and development at the national level. And then was a national director of services and education for a company based out of New York as well. Um, Really during that time kind of started uh, becoming dissatisfied with my quality of life, even though I was had reached a level of professional success and made the move back to the Midwest with my family. We're originally from uh, Missouri. My wife's from St. Louis. And um, took a little bit of time off to be a dad for about six months and see my kids and rekindle those relationships a little better. And uh, then started my own business, which is entirely remote, where I work within um, both remote coaching and trainer development from an educational perspective. Very cool. So you, you mentioned you know, quality of life. Um, is there anything specific that you felt like you were missing that you were trying to dive back into? Yeah, I mean, there are probably a lot of things. And, and I think it's, it's interesting, especially for anyone who's lived in Manhattan for any extended period of time, how your sense of normalcy changes dramatically. Uh, just being in that bubble, being part of that mentality where everybody just works and works and works and works and they sacrifice so much of um, their social lives. Right, even just looking at when people get married and when people have kids, it's pushed back five to ten years based off like national norms altogether because everybody pursues a career first. And I went into that um, pretty much already being married. We got married our first year in in New York and had kids pretty soon after. So I was kind of living this alternative lifestyle, you know, based on the norms that were there and. Um, working a ton of hours and 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 again had had a lot of professional and financial success and that was fine and and those were things that I was very proud of but I was I wasn't getting uh, I wasn't building the relationships with either my wife or my kids uh, that I really wanted you know being being a part of a, just a really close knit family is something I experienced when I grew up 
Um, it's something that I've always admired watching other families. It's something that I've always uh, aspired to have. And I just wasn't, I wasn't filling that bucket for myself. And as I got, you know, older and older, kids were getting older and older. We, we moved out to the suburbs in New Jersey and to try to have a little bit more of that. And it ended up being even worse because my commute times were so, so drastically long. And we did that for about a year and a half before we just decided to, to do something else and just kind of walk away from that lifestyle and walk away from that career. Uh, but, but the main things were, you know, I just, I wasn't having the relationships and, and also just as a, as an individual, my health was actually really suffering. You know, I, I'm someone who's always been active. I've always been athletic. I've, you know, I've always been fit and healthy and all of those things. And obviously that's kind of what drove me into the industry. And, and I, you know, went and got a physical and I was having trouble maintaining weight. My hair was literally falling out. And, and so I got, a, I got a physical and my testosterone was literally in the 200s, which is not good at all for someone who's at that time, I was like 34 years old. And, and that was a huge wake up call for me just on how stressed I was on a daily basis. And um, I'm normally very introverted. And just the stimulus of that environment was always was just sensory overload for me, and I and I wasn't ever able to downregulate my system. I had a hard time sleeping. I was getting a loss of appetite. Just kind of everything was going haywire for me. I was just kind of you know a, a, you know sympathetic overload if we're looking at autonomics, and my resting heart rate was going up, my blood pressure was going up, and I had all these biomarkers that were just terrible. Uh, and a lot of it just had to do with me not being able to cope with a lot of those things that I was experiencing on a daily basis. And then also not being able to kind of recoup and recharge when I was going home, uh, simply because I was working so much and living so little. So that that was a huge impetus for me to kind of do a 180 and kind of really just figure out how I could reverse that that relationship between work and life. And um, And here we are. You know, and that that was kind of the 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 nudge I needed, or the the kick I needed, more more appropriately to to kind of yeah. move, change, and do the things I needed to do. Yeah, it's you know, you and I have both been doing this for about fifteen years now, so we've been in the industry for a long time. And there's an an irony, or even almost a hypocrisy, sometimes to the advice that we're giving on a daily basis and the life that we live, because we are we are up early, we are working late, and especially before kids. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, this was, we are, we're, we're, it's a grinding industry and not that others aren't, but we're the ones that are talking about health all day long. So it's funny how many, you know, I'm sure you've had the same conversations with friends and family where people don't realize how it's, how slippery of a slope it is for us on our end, even though we're the ones that should be, it, with, with health should be more on the forefront of our own minds all the time. And so I don't know about you, but for me, becoming a dad was, was my punch in the face of, oh man, like this is, this is important. Yeah, my story is very interesting because I had a lot of things happening as a young father as well. I lost my father when my oldest son was three. He's nine now, so it's been about six years. And that was also just a big wake-up call for me because he wasn't someone who was overly healthy. And he was in his mid-60s, right? So obviously way too early at that point. And you know, between you know having a young child... Sarah, my wife, was pregnant with our second son and losing him. Like that was just, 
that broke me. Like that was the whole thing for me that just really made me reevaluate a lot of things. And, and again, like, like you're saying, like from an outward experience, like I was the picture of health, right. And, but from an internal perspective, I, I definitely wasn't right. I, I was definitely that person who was getting up at three o'clock to three thirty every single morning, you know, finally getting home and getting to bed somewhere between nine and 10 and, and, Maybe if I'm lucky, getting five and a half to six hours of sleep a night, working in a highly stressful, highly stimulating environment, um, having to deal with things, especially later on in my career where I had, you know, I was in charge of teams and facilities and, and multi facilities, having really big sales goals, millions of dollars a month that I was in charge of and PT revenue, and and having to hit those numbers in order for myself to get paid because. And, and fitness, it's always like 80% bonus, right? Yeah. You know, so it's like, I always had that hanging over my head. There's always closeouts. And, and you know, all of those things just really uh, just wrecked me, you know, internally, I was completely dysregulated, you know, and that was kind of around the same time too, I became fascinated with autonomics. And I, you know, read every book Robert Sapolsky had ever read and watched his lectures. And then eventually, got more into psychology. And now I'm back in graduate school for that. And um, just trying to better understand um, those relationships, right? From whether we're talking about, you know, the BPS and the biopsychosocial aspect of things, or, or just looking at how, you know, our emotions and our perceptions of our environment can help regulate our autonomics and kind of, de- you know, dampen some of these, these overstimulus uh, reactions that we may be having from, from some of these things. Because all of that stuff really kind of just controls everything you have going on internally, you know, from from hormonal output to digestion to immune function to libido to cardiovascular function, all of those things, you know. And I was I was a mess on all of them because of that. You know, I, there, there's a few things I want to I want to get into there because you, you said a lot. Um, I'm going to start with, you know, and this was not planned. My father passed in 2013, right before any of the grandkids were born. So before mm-hmm. my sister had her, you know, my nieces and, and eventually nephew. So, you know, a lot, this is, again, we, we wait for these big life occurrences before sometimes we realize things are important. So for you, it was both, for both of us, it was our kids being born. It was a major loss. Um, how, how do we start convincing people to look at some of these preventative measures before the worst kind of motivation has to happen? You know, and the kids are good motivation, right? So that's that's a great motivation. But still, you know, there's some there's some time before that where maybe we want to start saying, okay, my my health is important, and it's important now, but it's also important for later. And it's a tough conversation to have, right? It's tough to say, hey, I realize that none of this is a problem, but in 40 years it might be. So let's start thinking about it. H- have you had these types of conversations with your clientele? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Probably all of them, right? You know, and, and just even family and friends and, and, you know, people that you meet, right? It's like you go to a wedding and be like, oh, you're a trainer. What should I do? Uh, you know, so it's like, it's it's not just a few conversations. It's hundreds of conversations. And, and I think one of the biggest things is, you know, trying to attach health onto things that they are like, you know, and trying to create um, healthy associations with those things. And, and you know, for me, it's, uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest rock or the lowest hanging fruit or, you know, whatever cliche you want to use for a lot of people is just increasing your daily activity. You know, so I talk with a lot of my clients about 
walking more, right? It's not always just talking about, you know, training in the gym and, and your, you know, two to three hours and counting your macros and making sure you eat your, your vegetables or whatever. Uh, a lot of, you know, for a lot of the people that I work with, it's, you know, the, the easiest thing to adopt is just taking more steps and, and walking more and trying to associate those with things that are really positive. Uh, because we know that, you know, walking is going to help everything from, again, cardiovascular function to uh, just general movement and gait and joint pain and, and some of those things. And then looking at it from also just increasing your BMR, right? And increasing your daily metabolic rate so you can attack maybe that weight loss or those calories from the other end of things instead of having to restrict yourself. It's probably going to help your sleep as well just because, again, you're using more energy through the day. It's really hard to sleep at night when you don't expend any, any energy through the day, right? It's like I grew up in rural Missouri and farm country, and those men and women sleep like babies. Right. Like I've never, I've never met someone who did manual labor for a living and moved a lot for a living who had trouble sleeping at night. Right. You know, so again, a lot of this has to do with just finding the thing that's going to, to positively impact all the other stuff. And if I can turn walking into something that is enjoyable for people, right? Like if you have a, you know, a partner, a spouse, like, and you talk in the evening, take it for a walk, right? Turn off the screen and go for a walk when it cools down. If, if you want to attach that to walking to a certain place or a certain activity or something that you enjoy, you know, make that the thing. Uh, you know, I, I think especially as a, as a father, you know, we, I walk every morning with um, my kids. They ride their bikes, especially in the summer, not so much in the school year, uh, pre-COVID. But they'll ride their bikes and I'll just walk and you know, meet them on the corners and look both ways and tell them to cross the street. And, and, but that's something that they enjoy and I enjoy. And it gives me some of my best thinking time through the day. It lets me clear my head and kind of walk through like what the rest of my day is going to look like. Um, and it just starts me off on the right on the right foot, you know. And if you're someone who likes to wake up and drink a cup of coffee, like take it with you. Like just attach as many positive things as you can to that activity, and it'll eventually become habitual and it will become the norm. And then you can build habits on top of that as well. And and once you form a singular healthy habit, right? You set that trend, you start building familiarity into that practice, then you can start attaching other healthy habits to it much easier. And, you know, that's one of the books I've recommended to so many clients, whether it be, you know, actual training clients or trainers that we work with developmentally is just talking um, uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, right? Like just super digestible, Really easy, really good read, short, but actionable for people. Um, and, and that's something that definitely helped me better explain it to people, I, I think, as well as, long, as as well as just better practice it myself. But once you start, you know, doing one thing, um, you, you get a cascade effect. And, and you'll most likely start picking up habits and habits and habits on top of that, too. It's I. It's one of my favorite books. And it's actually it is my favorite behavior change book. And I actually talked to uh, him briefly about being on the podcast. And uh, he's he's a little busy right now, but eventually I want to get him on just for that reason. I found that book to be more immediately usable than some of the other behavior change books. Like the concepts were very linking good habits together is a big one, right? You already brush your teeth. Well, take your vitamins while you brush your teeth. You know. You already have one habit, use it. Start, you know, so things like that were, so I, I love that book for that reason. 
And I love the concept of the domino effect. People try to fix everything right away. And to a point we're going to get to in a little bit, if they don't enjoy all of them, if they're all forced, even with the greatest intentions, things don't stick. But if we can get the lowest hanging fruit to start the process, how many clients have you worked with that, you know, three, four or five years down the line, it's like a, I can't believe who I am thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't believe this was never, I never thought this was going to be a, even a goal of mine. And all of a sudden I'm attaining this or this is important. Um, so things change once you can just make one little one. It doesn't have to be a big one, right? It can be a little one at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think for me, one of the biggest things is, you know, th- when you start working with anybody and you start trying to do any, any type of habit, right. Or any type of ritual, whatever it may be, like you first have to work with adherence, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable to something else almost to, to make this work. And you slowly build into coherence, right? We start shaping other activities around it. And then you start looking at actual behavior change and, and the adoption of new habits. And I think that's where you get into more of that proactive, healthy lifestyle where you're actually making conscious decisions to be healthy rather than making the, making decisions uh, to be, uh, you know, to not be unhealthy. Right. And I think there's a big difference there and choosing health versus just not choosing unhealth or dishealth. Uh, and I think that's where that's where that positive and that progressive lifestyle kind of starts happening for people is when you're consciously making those choices. Yeah, absolutely. And how so being a trainer and being a trainer and a father and, and a husband, right, because we, we try to we try to have a good a good effect on our family because of what we do for a living. Sometimes we might take it far. Um, at least I'll speak for myself on that. But how has being in the fitness industry and being a, an educated professional, has that affected the way you parent, do you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, and and again, like my, my big thing too is I think the awareness of, you know, not trying to live through your kids, you know, from, from a health and fitness perspective too, we're, we're very big on giving them tools and letting them make their own decisions, you know, and even just, you know, the things we have around the house, like we're talking about food and healthy eating, like, yeah, we have some snacks like everybody else does, but we also make sure that we have enough healthy food options around that if they are going to be choosing and we want to give them the autonomy of choice, that we can kind of control the choices a little bit, right? And it's like, my, my kids love blueberries, like we don't need to have candy bars, you know, it's like just there's plenty of things that they like that we can have available to them. Um, and, and then we can have choices, but you know, none of the choices are necessarily what we would, you know, consider being unhealthy or, you know, I don't want to say bad or good, but, uh, they, they would be things that we would want them to have. And so whatever choice they make, we're completely happy with, and they feel like they get to make their own decisions and they get to be autonomous in that. Um, like my, my oldest son's nine and my youngest is six. And, uh, they are now like kind of in that point of their lives where they understand they have choices. And they want to be able to make choices. And, you know, they do out, uh, you know, again, uh, trying to think of the word here. I lost it. Not satisfaction, but they, they do want approval, you know, from us for those choices. So we just have to make sure that the things that we have available to them are appropriate for what they want to do. And and when we start looking at like activities and, and being healthy, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, we just try to lead by example. You know, we go on walks, we go hiking on the weekend. Uh, we don't necessarily 
force sports on them. If they want to play sports, we do that. I mean, I, I played two sports through college and that was a big part of my life, but I also understand that it might not be a big part of theirs and they haven't really decided yet. You know, I've got an older son who is very introverted and very independent, who loves riding his bike and swimming and hiking and running. And a lot of it is more individualized activities and doesn't like soccer and basketball and some of those other team-based things. And I have a younger son who is very extroverted and social, gets super bored doing all the individual stuff and loves the team aspect of things. And, and we can respect that they're very different humans from that perspective, even at young ages, and try to, again, provide them to options that fit what the things they enjoy doing and make sure they're able to do those things. Uh, and then make sure that we're able to positively reward those things rather than you know reward by consequence or something of that nature. Um, and, and I think that's that's always the big thing with with kids is um, we always emphasize fun over anything else. I don't care if my my son you know wins the the kindergarten soccer league that we don't care about that. We care about if he had fun. And that's the first thing we ask him after the game. Like, did you have fun? Did you enjoy what you're doing? I saw that really great kick. How'd that feel? You know, those type of things. Uh, we're not talking about goals being scored or things that are empirical necessarily. Um, we're really focusing on the emotion that's attached to the activity and making sure that we drive that um, because that's what we really want is for it to be really fun for them. And if it's fun for them, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to be healthier they're, and they're going to pursue those things. And now you've, you've handed me the perfect transition point, right? Because if, if, if it's as true as it is for, for kids and from a parenting standpoint, it's equally uh, as true for adults, right? That, that doesn't necessarily stop more kids. You posted something just the other day um, after we, we had our first talk last week. And it was, it was a reminder, and it was really more of a reminder to the industry, right? It was, it was really probably more talking to the trainer side of, hey, even if you're, pro, even if you're the most intelligent person in the room, and your program is yielding results, if the person in front of you doesn't enjoy it, the odds of adherence is still minimal to none, mm. right? So, you know, it's, it's our responsibility as professionals to realize that, to know the person that's in front of us, and to create that. How do people who don't have one of us, first advice might be to seek out, you know, someone like us, obviously, but, but let's say you don't have the means. How can people start to you know, to really focus on the enjoyment side and the enjoying the journey part of, of this. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it is, to, you know, just, um, disassociating even training from activity, you know, it like training is a construct that if, you know, the world was, uh, was probably a little bit more optimal, like our industry wouldn't even exist. And I, and I try to be like hyper aware of that, you know, in a perfect world, there are no personal trainers. Right? We don't have a lot of these more sedentary based diseases and, and things of that nature, uh, you know, because everybody just moves, everybody does the things they're supposed to do. And, you know, so for me, I, I always just encourage clients, like if they're not in a position where, you know, training's uh, a luxury that they can really take part in or, or anything of that nature, uh, just find things that you love doing. You know, I, I think when I, when I look at kids, you know, and, and that's, that's something, again, having kids of my own and, and seeing their friends. And, you know, even back when I was in college, we held kids camps and we, you know, all every summer and we had, camp, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids that, that were there. The vast majority of kids love playing. 
right? It's, it might not be a sport, but everybody loves to play at some point in their lives. And, and, and playing usually involves physical activity, whether it's running or jumping or climbing or, or whatever. And I think that's where, you know, as adults, we just kind of have to rekindle playing more so than even training and, and finding ways to move and, and exert effort, you know, outside of our daily lives, right? Our, our typical work lives and, and family lives. And that might be hiking, right? That, that might be riding a bike, that it could be whatever, you know, it could be training, it could be going to the gym, it could be running and things that are more traditional, but it certainly doesn't have to be. And I think that's one of the big things that, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to people who aren't necessarily interested in the gym, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are not interested in the gym or maybe even intimidated by the gym. There's a lot of ways to be completely healthy outside of the gym, especially from an activity and movement perspective. And you just have to find that thing you love doing. You know, I've got, uh, there's a couple that we know that they play ultimate Frisbee on the weekends with friends. And that's like, that's their thing. And after watching them play once, that's a heck of a sport. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there, but they, they don't go to the gym at all, but you see them again, they're healthy, they're fit, they're, they're happy. They move well, they're not in pain. And I think that's, that's one of the big things that we have to think about is, you know, the gym is, it's a solution, it's a strategy, but it's not the only one. It's just the one that we emphasize the most uh, because it's an industry and it's a business. There's a lot of things out there that you could be doing outside of that that are also perfectly healthy. And if you love doing them, if you enjoy doing them, you're much more likely to adhere to that and pursue that farther. And before I get to the next major thing I want to get to, I so from a technical standpoint, how do you, you know, we, we come from similar educational backgrounds and I agree. And then I love that there's, there's more opportunities for adults to play now, right? There's, there's more adult leagues. There's, uh, OCR racing has become mm -hmm. huge, right? And it's for a reason because adults want to play just as much as kids do. Wait, the human body is meant to move. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's the reality side of it too, where sometimes people have created these physical situations of their body where they have created tightness, they've created pain, they've created discomfort. So is, is there advice in here somewhere for someone that says, okay, listen, I need you to enjoy these easier play things, but there might be some middle steps that you might have to take to be able to enjoy those things. Cause if you're in pain, every time you join your, uh, your women's soccer league, probably not the most fun game. Right. Um, so is there a transitional period? Is there, you know, how do you talk to people about that? Yeah. And I, I think this is even, there's probably a few different layers to this, right? So you've got biomechanical strategies, right? So you might have compensatory strategies just based off of the way you're structured, right? You know, it, and whether it's, you've got an anterior pelvic tilt, right? Because you, you sit too much, or maybe you're carrying a little bit of extra weight or something of that nature, and it, it causes a little bit of lower back pain or some knee pain or some things like that. I think there's definitely some, some kind of basic, you know, strength training things that you can do at home to help offset those things. I think for a lot of those people, even just going, you know, circling back to walking more, because I, I am a big proponent of moving more to move better. Right. I, I think, you know, in anything else in our lives, the way you get better at something is you, you do more of it. We just have to make sure that those things are scaled appropriately, right? So every time you're doing an activity, it's a stressor, 
And if, if the stressor uh, essentially overcomes your abilities, poor things might happen, right? You're going to be at more risk, right? So you have to make sure that your immersion uh, into that stressor matches your abilities. And then you try to progress both at the same time, just through that kind of graded exposure. So if you're just getting into running or you're just getting into soccer, uh, start slow, right? You don't, you're not running a half marathon on the first day. That's okay. Right. You know, maybe just kind of run, walk for a mile and just run when you can, when you get tired or you start getting a little creaky, walk a little bit and, and pick it back up. I think, you know, a big part of it, if you, you know, if you're conversely, if you're getting into like the, the soccer league in this example, go out in your backyard and kick a ball around a little bit, you know, and, and just practice the skills, you know, and kind of do those things. If you've got kids, bring them into it, play with them. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to kind of slowly accumulate your body into these things. I think a lot of the issues um, that people tend to have is they think they have to jump in at the end point rather than, you know, kind of practicing and building capacity and building competency. And, and again, exposing themselves to various grades of that stress over time. So when they get to the end point, they're actually ready for it and they can be competitive. You know, so I think, again, mapping out some longer term goals, if you want to start participating in a sports league, well, you can easily look online and see when that league starts and give yourself a few months to, to get yourself ready for it. If you want to start running, same thing. You can kind of look at um, a running schedule, whether it's an OCR or trail running or uh, a local 5K or whatever it might be, and, and build yourself up and kind of slowly get ready for that. And, and that's going to decrease your risk substantially, you know, for some of those things. And, and again, it has to do with the enjoyment factor. It also gives you lots of wins along the way. And it kind of keeps it dopaminergic in that respect to where you're, you're constantly climbing that cycle and feeling good about yourself and, and getting better. Um, and, and again, if you're, if you can keep those relationships going, you enjoy it, you constantly see growth in whatever activity that is, you're more likely to keep pursuing it. Um, and, and for a lot of people, like you said, it's, you know, pain, it becomes a big barrier because a lot of time people just simply jump in too fast and the, the stimulus that they're bringing on themselves, you know, again, uh, overcomes their actual ability to perform the activity and the risk goes up. And if you keep doing that over and over and over again, it will happen. You know, like you, you will probably go through some aches and pains or something from that injury, you know, maybe not an injury in itself, but just not feeling good about it anymore, right? Just discomfort. Uh, so, so I think a lot of it just has to do with planning it out and then slowly acclimating yourself to whatever it is that you're, you're choosing to do. And what you've done is you've, you've kind of come full circle here where yeah, if you seek out things you enjoy and then you have a reason that you need to get better, that better, but to adjust to be able to do the things you enjoy. Now you've created that motivator that we asked, you know, where we started this podcast with, mm -hmm. you know, how do you, how do you start attaching certain health things when you don't know if they're important? Well, now we just created it. Right. So I think a good first step is what you just said. It's, it's what do you enjoy? And then taking that step back and saying, okay, now just a little bit of plan to say what gets me to be able to do that. Because mm -hmm. once you get there, you can do it yeah. you know, productively. You know, you're, I, I knew you initially for your technical side. Oh, you are you're supremely educated on the technical side. What I've learned about you through our conversation now is, you know, you, you've gained appreciation for the psychology side and you've actually gone back to school 
to, to pursue that as a degree. Um, was there a point in, in more of the fitness and the technical side that was like, a, oh man, this is, this is something I want to take on officially? Yeah. I mean, so I've, I've always been, um, just a super analytical, you know, person who wants to find the answers to everything. So the education side of fitness and looking at anatomy and physiology and biomechanics, and then again, context and application of training strategies, uh, has always been super important to me. And I've always prided myself on being a learner, you know, from that perspective. And, and one of my last jobs in New York, we were actually, I was working, um, alongside a behavioral psychologist uh, on a project that we were running where we were consulting with really high level executive teams and, you know, people that were running billion dollar hedge funds and huge financial institutions and just had a lot of stress. And she was running, you know, behavioral analysis and and looking at workplace strategies to improve their culture. I was running uh, heart rate variability monitoring and blood work on, on all the, all the members of the teams and then implementing, um, what we would, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, intelligent programming, you know, based on that. And seeing the results of that and better understanding what she was doing uh, and how it and how it really tied into what I was looking at from more of a physiology base really piqued my interest. And, and it really kind of turned into, you know, something that I I wanted to make my own and wanted to be able to kind of do by myself. So when we moved back here, you know, one of the things that I wanted to work with with coaches on individually, because at that point we'd uh, we run the the disc behavioral analysis. So I, I've I've ran about three hundred of them on people at this point. Is I wanted to be able to work with coaches from that perspective, and, and more so for me to better understand them and how I can communicate with them, but but also for them to be able to better understand their clients and and building a better service model for their clients. Because, you know, we look at the training model and, you know, the, all the acronyms, the seminars and the education we pick up and how that affects the programming and periodization of what we're doing. And those things are all important. But if we're looking at what a training model should actually be built around, it should be built around our client base, right? And who those people are, what their goals are, what their environments are, how they perceive their environments, right? And finding a way to make training something while they're doing it. So I've kind of been working with coaches on that for the last few years, as far as just being able to better categorize clients is, you know, the, the big four quadrants that we look at with, with this is, are you introverted or extroverted, right? And then are you goal centric or are you experience centric? You know, so are you process or goal oriented? And if I can better understand uh, your extroversion and and what your values lie in, I can now better formulate a program for you. I can better communicate that program to you from a motivational and feedback perspective, and I can better even you know set up the environment for your success. Right? You know, again, like an example that I always give with coaches is you're meeting a, a client for the first day and you're running a consultation and assessment. You have the option to do that in a closed assessment room or in the middle of a training floor. How do you decide which one? Usually, we just see which one is open. But if we know ahead of time, if that person's extremely introverted, now we know that doing it in the middle of the floor might bring a lot of anxiety and a a bigger threat response, right? More hypervigilance uh, into their system. And that's going to affect the way they go through that assessment. Everything from their focus to their actual muscle tonicity, 
and their movement, uh, just availability and capacity. So if I take that person into a more closed environment where they can focus more and we can dampen that threat response, I'm probably going to get a better sense of what they're able to do. And conversely, if I have someone who's extremely extroverted, they might experience more anxiety and some of the same effects from being in a closed environment. Whereas if I bring them out into the training floor and it's more open and there's more people around, they feel better about that process and they perform a little more true and I get better answers from that perspective. So that, that really affects how I go through that process and then how I even set them up for success within the training environment moving forward. Um, and, and it's not anything that's that complicated. I don't think you have to have an advanced degree in psychology to understand those things. But I think it is something to really be aware of within that process. Yeah, absolutely. And then you learn, I mean, from that, you can assume some possible things going forward too, right? You know, whether they like, how does someone like to be cued? Do they like to be corrected? Do they not like to be corrected? At what level do they like to be corrected? You know, for some people that are in a group setting, yelling at them from across the room may not be the best strategy, while someone else may have no problem with it and, and take it really well. So I, I love how you're using that. You know, it, it's always been one of the most enjoyable parts of my job is, is that first day meeting with someone. What makes you tick? Why are you here? Why do you want to do it? And, and formulating the plan. Um, I love training. I love training day to day. But I've often said that I probably enjoy those, that first one day to four weeks the, the most. Because mm-hmm. um, it's so interesting to hear um, how people tick. So uh, I'm going to transition back here because I wanted to get a little back into um, some personal stuff. Uh, you know, work-life balance and, and making decisions. So, um, you know, in our in our pre-talk, we we determined. Well, I should say you said <laughs> that you know work-life balance really doesn't exist. Um, can you tap back into that a little bit and, and why you made that quote? Yeah, and <laughs> that's definitely. Uh... The caveat there is it's, it's a personal opinion for sure. And it's how I think about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of just that terminology and that thought process of uh, alignment uh, or balance uh, simply because I don't want my work to ever equal, you know, my life. And I, I'm, I've been a lot of time in my career where I did uh, live to work rather than work to live. And that was one of the big transitions that I wanted to make when I moved from New York back to the Midwest was to shorten my work days, be more efficient in that process so I could live, you know, quote unquote, more and spend more time with my family, spend more time with my kids, spend more time doing the things that I love doing. And and not that I don't love what I do from a work perspective, but it's not the same. It's not equal in any way. Like I love sitting down and talking to you, but I'm going to go shoot hoops in the driveway with my kids when they get home from camp. And, and I'm going to enjoy that more. And that's not <laughs> that's to you in any way. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's just understanding, you know, that, you know, for me, it's about prioritizing and understanding why I work. And if why I work is not serving my life, then I need to find a better thing to do. Like I need to make it more efficient. I need to find a better strategy. I might need to even move into a different area. and. I know that's easier said than done uh, because it's something I've struggled with in various points of my career. And, and even just starting my own business here in the Midwest, like it was not easy. Like it, it was a struggle, you know, and, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine looking back and admitting that. And, and it wasn't rainbows and unicorns for, for a few months and up, up to the first year. But now we're in a really good place where, um, 
I'm living the life that I want to live. And my work is not impeding the things that I want to do with my family. And for me, that's alignment rather than balance because they're just never going to be equal in my eyes. And I think that that's a perspective I've gotten throughout the course of my career. It's definitely not what I envisioned when I first started training because I am, I'm a competitive person. I love seeing my name on the top of lists and being really, you know, well-known within the organization I worked for and having, you know, little trophies beside my locker and all that good stuff and having, you know, speaking in front of big groups and doing those things. But at the end of the day, you know, none of that compares to me as, as much as, you know, getting a big hug when my kids, you know, come home or whatever, you know, so I'm always, you know, now going to to lean that way. And if if I'm doing something from a work perspective, that's the standard that it's always being measured against. You know, uh, my business partner Matt and I, like, we're always trying to innovate and find different things to do within our business that might help us be more efficient and reach more people. And that's the thing that I weigh everything that we look that we we intend to do against is will this cause me to work more? Or will it actually save me time? And, and that's how I prioritize things at this point in, in my career and in my life. And, and again, it's not easy, but it has served me well. And, and I feel really good about that process. Um, but yeah, it's just it's scheduling time and making time for the things that are really important to me outside of work as well. Yeah, you know, I, and I respect what you're saying a lot and I appreciate what you're saying. You know, we hear so much on the other end, you know, as trainers with our clients, of parents who feel guilty taking care of themselves because they feel they are they're leaving their kids, or you know, there's a, a sense of self interest to them. And we really try to stress that it's it's the opposite, right? We if we're not the best version of ourselves, we really can't be good dads, good moms, um, you know, good aunts and uncles, you know, good good husbands, good wives. Uh, so there's a middle ground, right? There, there's making sure they're a priority. And there's also working enough to make sure we give them a good life, but there's also keeping ourselves healthy. Um, you know, going back to your your points on yourself and realizing our stress and realizing where we're at. This way, we can kind of form this almost like this tripod of of health, which is how I've described it in the past. Um, so, Kyle, this has been uh, this has been fantastic. I was really looking forward to this all week, so uh, I'm, I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. Um, how can people find you? Yeah, so um, our website is just www.compoundperformance.com. That's that's my company name. And then on the social media side of things, um, I'm really only active on Instagram. I stay off Facebook to, <laughs> for, for everything that I can. Uh, right. It's just uh, compoundperformance underscore. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty active there and that's probably the easiest way to, to reach me, communicate with me or whatever. So. Awesome. And I'll, I'll make sure that's all in the show notes so people can see it as well. Um, and I highly recommend people come, especially to your Instagram because, uh, everything from the technical side to the, to the family side, um, it's a great site and uh, I know I, I enjoy following you. Um, well, Kyle, again, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again one day. Uh, have a good rest of your day. And uh, for everyone out there, we will see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.mar, M-A-R, 
healthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day. See you next time.